the Loose Cannons podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language, such as poop and titty, and descriptions of mature situations, such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. You know, when I first met you, Hank, I thought, this is not the guy for me. No way. You didn't look like him, you didn't talk like him. You weren't him. Him? You know, Prince Charming. (laughs) (laughs) But I started to like you anyway. Hey everyone, it's another Loose Cannons podcast coming at ya. Today we're going to be discussing the famously successful 1982 film, One from the Heart, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, that everyone agreed was great, and that's why he got to make so many other great films in the 80s and 90s, it's because of the huge success of that one. Wouldn't have had Jack. But before we do, mm -hmm, Jack... Peggy Sue got married. Uh, the Rainmaker. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, of course, the Rainmaker. But before we do that, let's do this. Yeah. This little segment we like to call Heralds and Denouncements. Boop, boo doo Alright. Patrick? Um, well, uh, since I probably won't get a chance to talk about this one before the Oscars happen, I wanted to denounce Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Uh, saw it in the theater. It's pretty much the same old, same old from Paul Thomas Anderson. Like a well-shot, pretty well-technically-crafted movie about a man who loves screaming at women who has a very volatile temper but is very talented in some ways so everyone gives him a pass for being an awful human being and then it's supposed to be kind of a sweet love story about his how his wife poisons him and that's why he loves her nice. so <laughs> hooray mm. best movie of the year says slant magazine mm. <laughs> I, I, I don't wonder understand if this is... I don't understand their taste at all. <laughs> Some years they're like, Jafar Panahi's the best director, and then they're like, Paul Thomas Anderson's the Phantom Thread, and I'm like, how do you, I don't know how you reconcile those two things, but it's very weird to me. I don't know. So far this is well, going to be I'm... the year of uh, Patrick <laughs> denouncing a movie that I'm going wa- I'm planning to watch less than 24 hours from... <laughs> Recording. You should give me your schedule so I don't ruin the movies for you. That's fine. I'm currently on moratorium for that movie, so I won't talk about well, it. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm next. Do you have anything else you want to say about it? Nope. Oh, that's it. I didn't like it. BTA has a lot of Not critical clout, though, still. I see a lot of pretty good he critics sure does. writing positively about him. People love him. <sighs> Sure does. All right. Well, Basil, I am going to denounce 
Mary and the Witch's Flower. Um, it's got sure. some cool uh, witch stuff, some cool witch animation, <laughs> some weird monsters that look really upsetting. A koala with spikes coming out of its back. I like that one bit. Uh, and but yeah other than that I was like I don't like at no point did I care about what was happening I was like oh I don't I don't care about this I'm uninvested mm -hmm. I'm just mm -hmm. waiting for this movie to be over and then and then eventually it was mm -hmm. it wasn't like the worst movie but I was just like thoroughly bored the whole time and uh same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say I disagree slightly with what uh, Patrick said in his review. He said he liked the cats. I found them really sleazy and upsetting. They were rubbing all up on each other in a way that made me Aww. uncomfortable. <laughs> that was cute. That's what they do when they love each other. Aww. Yeah, I was like, this is a little... That's not what love is. It's a little <laughs> too lascivious. These cats are enjoying this too much. Oh, no. <laughs> I watched this with someone who is a big cat enthusiast, so we uh, we enjoyed the cats for for what they were. <laughs> that up, that transformed cat's really upsetting too. Oh Who yeah, well me. all the transformed animals are pretty <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> I think this is a smart movie that's extremely stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's an extremely poorly told smart analogy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've now seen all three of this dude's films and they're all smart but sometimes has some problems mm -hmm. with storytelling <laughs> you like the secret uh, life of arietti the best one, right yeah by a significant yeah. margin what did you give so when marnie was there three stars uh, yeah. See, that's what he needs. He needs uh, Miyazaki to write him a script and then just let him take it away with the, the yeah. filmmaking. Unlikely to happen now <laughs> since he started yeah. his own studio so he wouldn't have to yeah. work with him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They started Ponach so they wouldn't have to work. I will say that this movie had like a thing that I had just been talking to Basil like recently about liking where a movie introduces something where I'm like, oh, I hate that. But it turns out that they hate it as well. <laughs> and it was a trick <laughs> that they were going to do it legitimately. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the movie, the like main girl, Mary, is uh, very clumsy. Mm -hmm. And you think that clumsy is like an intrinsic part of her character. And I'm like, haven't we gotten past this? But then it turns out to be like kind of a joke. Mm -hmm. So I like that. <laughs> I have no interest in seeing this movie. But probably. the movie is bad. It's, uh, not only is it, <laughs> you already declared you're not going to yeah. see any more anime. And uh, <laughs> this is not exactly making me reconsider, to be honest. Um, you're a loss. I mean, I, God it's not even bad in a like particularly yeah. interesting way. Like the ways in which it's bad are like characters say exactly what they're going to do or think things like repeated over and over mm. again. Like, the bad witch at one point is like, it's a good thing she didn't get this extra seed. I would have been in real trouble then. <laughs> I've been like, shut up. I know where this yeah, is going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when Mary's like, 
I am clumsy. Oh no. I am embarrassed about my red hair. Oh no. <laughs> I think those are like verbatim lines of dialogue from the movie. <laughs> Ilya. I rewatched Dread and it's still pretty good. But um yes. I'm not as like gung ho for this movie, I guess, as I once was. It's real weird at parts there's some really dodgy uh characterization things in it that uh some really dodgy uh like representational things and it doesn't surprise me one bit that alex garland is kind of like in uh, some murky waters right now when it comes to uh his newest movie um where he's being accused well, of, i haven't heard about this of but whitewashing don't tell me because yeah Oh, with annihilation. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, this is. We're gonna do a podcast on it soon. Yeah. Well, well, it's it's uh, it's probably gonna be uh, that's probably gonna be part of what we discuss about it. Um, anyway, like I guess it's fair to say at this point that Dread is mostly Alex Garland's movie. Uh, and uh, what's his name? The true auteur. Pete Travis, who like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, never Travis. before, yeah. never again did anything interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Garland's recorded as the writer, but apparently did like directing on the set, and uh, was a lot of the movie kind of flows real well. And I mean, I I like a lot of it, but like uh, in the end, probably like a movie that makes me root for the fascist police guy is always gonna be like always gonna make me feel real weird. So I mean, pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I yeah. So I like it still. I like it uh, way more than I, I probably would uh, if this movie wasn't well, so well made. Um, but yeah, just not like all time great or anything like that. You mean it's not executive producer Adi Shankar's movie? <laughs> <laughs> I always like movies better when they're poorly made, personally. Yeah. The Room, my Big favorite fan. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of terrible filmmaking. <laughs> um, I decided to finish watching. Speaking more of anime, finished watching Satoshi Kon's films, Woo. uh, including rewatching Paprika, mm -hmm. which I hadn't seen since the theater, and it's super good. Nice. <laughs> I was hoping that's what that was the case. We were wrong. <laughs> Um, well, <laughs> as a baby idiot, nope, same. Um, I mean, I knew this back then, but it's still definitely true today. It's an amazing soundtrack, mm -hmm. and there's a part where Paprika like dives into a dream and then like goes through a cloud and then like is riding a small cloud with like a Princess Zelda style gear or something. She like pops out of the cloud <laughs> and uh, the soundtrack kicks in at that moment and it definitely makes me feel how I wish video games made me feel like I'm totally immersed in this like exciting fantasy world where I'm the hero. Um, but it's not just cool, it's actually much smarter than that and like uh, has a lot of cogent things to say about the type of stuff that we've been talking about a lot on this po podcast about how the world of the internet has created this simulacrum dream right. world 
that we're all participating in where there's nothing really is being lost, but also no real revolutionary change is happening either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's this great image in the movie of this parade of items like dolls and refrigerators and the Statue of Liberty <laughs> that like whenever you get absorbed into the collective dream that like paralyzes you in the real world, you become part of this like happy parade. Uh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, One might even call it a black parade. <laughs> no. What if phones, but bad. Um, and it also has the most disturbing image of sexual assault that I've ever seen in my entire life where Paprika gets uh, pinned down to a table with butterfly uh. pins, like, mm. uh, and the guy takes his its hand that's during the dream sequence and puts it over her pants and then pushes his hand into her body, like, and then you see his fingers, like, rolling up through her skin and then pulls her Paprika costume off to reveal, you know, who was actually Paprika the whole time. And I was like, I hate this. <laughs> I mean, in a, in a way that I don't remember it's very that. good. I've seen this movie. <laughs> but and I don't it, remember that. It's extraordinarily yeah. upsetting to yeah, watch. Sounds no, like it. Yeah. Upsetting. Wow. It's actually the only the thing I do remember, except for the parade. Wow, <laughs> stuck with me. Um, I don't remember the parade part. I don't remember that part. Wow. Uh, I have a couple problems. Speaking of representational. Uh, stuff uh satoshi Kon has a tendency to represent his characters like inner life in their physical form and that always leads to very mm. problematic territory so this is a movie that mm. very easily fits onto la femme hysterique's list um movies where fat people eat fattily because they're fat and it's fat <laughs> or whatever um yeah. and it's really yeah. a bad <clears throat> Bad part of this movie, which yeah. is otherwise mostly good. I remember, <laughs> I remember that character. That character is just like throughout the whole thing. I did think it was interesting though, because like, I don't know, you hardly ever see characters with that body type in movies at all. So I was kind of like, it's interesting that that's represented here. But yeah, he's also a pretty gross character too. So uh, it's an interesting commentary on technology, and that he sort of. He's this amoral child, as I mentioned in the review that I just posted. And with that amorality comes like a desire to just like indulge in everything. He's like, oh, whatever gives me pleasure, I don't think about it. Hmm. But that has a lot of He's a hedonist. unpleasant yeah, uh, <laughs> side effects when you think about it. Yeah. From Interesting, though. What I'm... Satoshi Kon, yeah. Definitely one I should check He's out. You're saying that's an anime I should watch? If you want to. Yeah. I don't know. I like interesting, <laughs> like interesting stuff. I think you should watch the movies you want yeah, to watch. Uh, I mean, don't force I, yourself. I feel yeah, like there's plenty them. of movies. I feel like don't don't. I feel like with anime, I would need know. like stuff that would really kind of I don't know, uh, make me feel different about the medium in some way, like not the. I, have you seen Princess Mononoke? Sure, sure have. Sure have. <laughs> right. You have? Okay. 
I don't know. That one would yeah. seem up your alley yeah. if you hadn't seen it. Have you seen a movie called Akira? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I heard so much about it. The ghost in the shell. I heard it's pretty... Maybe I that, burnt. that one's pretty canonical. <laughs> I just got dragged in my own podcast. <laughs> I was being serious. It was a joke, and I didn't know if Ilya had seen Princess Mononoke. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know for sure either. I was just trying to think of the most pop, the most popular anime film of all time after Spirited yep. Away. <laughs> all right, are we ready to move on to this other popular? Yeah, film? yeah. One of the most popular musicals of all time. Popular and critically acclaimed. Um, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely not a huge flop. This was my pick, so I'll give you the plot. Uh, Frederick Forrest plays a guy named Hank. He works in a wrecking yard collecting old signs from uh, casinos and stuff. And he's having some uh, relationship issues with Terry Gar. Her name's Franny, who... Uh, She's a window decorator at a travel agency, dreaming big of flying away somewhere to another fantasy world. And uh, so they break up. Um, each of them meets another person. She meets Raul Julia. His character's name is Ray. Uh, he's a kind of dashing, exotic man from another land and sweeps her off her feet. Uh, Hank meets Layla, played by Natasha Kinski. Uh, model and uh you know she's also exotic and he's enamored with her and then uh trying to decide whether or not to try and make the relationship work or go off with these new people and that's basically it it takes place in las vegas uh it's all shot on fake sets so it's very expensive those sets are really huge (laughs) 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 <laughs> yep. Get into the nitty gritty in a little bit. Uh, Ilya, what did you think of this movie? I thought it was fine. I thought the dancing was fine. It was pretty cool. I thought uh, I didn't care too much about the songs, and there's a lot of them. So, um, <laughs> um, I thought hard sell for like uh, performances are fine. Uh, there's some really <laughs> cool imagery. Like certain shots, like there's a shot of uh, Hank standing against like a blue neon wall and like being like coated in blue light, uh, which I thought was really beautiful. Um, there's a shot of that uh, of Layla, I think, or there's another dancer. Uh, I don't remember exactly who's like within the martini glass and dancing. Yeah, I think that is Layla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's like a few shots that I'm like, oh my god, I wish. This whole movie was those kinds of shots, but fortunately, it feels like they have to make it into this really boring kind of like uh, hetero romance, where it's just like, oh, we're both kind of bored of each other. Let's do some exotic things, uh, and all like the relentless exotifying of things is mm-hmm. also really annoying. So, yeah. nice shots, some fights, some cool dancing, but like the other stuff, I feel like drags it down a bit. Ruben. I agree with Ilya that I wish this movie had been an hour and 40 minutes of the super beautiful shots. 
that populate it. <laughs> I disagree with Elliot that it's fine. I think it's amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> um, the first three minutes or so, I was so sad. Just these images of sand whipping around, signs, and uh, the movie was probably never going to live up to how profoundly that imagery affected me. Um, but it did give me the words, I guess, to describe how it was making me feel, because they kind of lay out uh, exactly what's going on there. I think later when Hank says to um, Franny, uh, you can go to whatever paradise you want. All your shit's going to follow you there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think with a lot of movies even ones that I really, really love, maybe one, even one that I love more than this, Showgirls, also about Las Vegas, that in order to give that like sort of emptiness of the American dream to really hit, they have to turn things up, like they take things that are, uh, you know, gross about it and make them more clear. But I think that this movie really presents like, yeah, this is a nice house like in the 80s this is the exact type of house that people would want I'm like these are good looking people and like they have nice jobs and everything is good and it's still just really shitty <laughs> it's still just really empty and beautiful and hollow and I was like oh right this is like my number one fear and like the major cause of my depression right. is that if I were successful I would feel exactly the same as I feel right now <laughs> and the song and the opening made me feel that feeling and that the movie sort of lays it out in a way that's like a little too on the nose and why it ends up not being one of my absolute favorite movies of all time but still really really good (laughs) yes it does not surprise me that you like this movie a lot because this movie reminded me a lot of la 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 I was gonna say this movie is very like it's a very like progenitor of La La Land. Definitely, I was like, wow. It took thirty years for American audiences to appreciate <laughs> one, one from the heart. They had to get rid of some of the really awful shots of women mm-hmm. in this movie, yep. and have worse dancing mm-hmm. <laughs> in order for American audiences to get in. <laughs> yep. Well, um. I didn't like this movie. Um, I was, I was, I guess, you know, uh, everybody else wasn't bothered by this, but I was kind of, well, I guess Ilya was bothered by it a little bit, but I, I was kind of bothered by how it was kind of like a feature length version of that Pina Colada song where it was like, oh, it's two people who are bored of each other. And then they realize that they need each other at the end and they're actually like, they don't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> strong disagree <laughs> that that's the plot of this movie i don't know it, it just that that was the whole thing it was just like oh isn't it sweet that they get together at the end of the movie and i was just like mm. no <laughs> i'm sorry but no it is not that <laughs> mm. i just, i really disagree if that's what you took away from their story oh, that, that this movie that was... is happy that those two people are together <laughs> i don't know that's the way it felt to me <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I don't like that 
I just don't like the love story. Like, I, I guess you have to buy into that central tenet where, like, at any point you feel like those two people should be together. And I never did because it starts in right away with, like, them not being happy. And I was like, why are they together? Like, why are they together at all? Like, go away with those other people. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I don't care if you're unhappy. Like I just I don't know. I didn't I didn't really care for it. Like it it felt really tiresome to me because the whole movie was kind of that same thing where it was like, "Oh, we're going to have all these like lascivious shots of Terry Gar and then we're going to be, be like, "Oh, you know, we're going to assume right from the beginning that these two people should be together and like that's the, you know, love story that we're trying to tell here." And I was just like, "I don't I don't care about them though." Like I don't, and maybe this is the same problem that I have with La La Land, where I was like, I don't like the romance that's happening here, and I don't care about these characters, so why am I watching a whole story about these two characters, you know, like, you know, like, maybe pining for each other in their own weird ways, or like, you know, I don't know, pining for whatever they represent to each other, you know, when I'm like, I don't care about them. Like, I just don't want to watch them anymore. I'd rather actually watch the other two characters that are in this movie, because they seem more interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I I mean, the dancing is fine. Like, I enjoyed the the big, like... Wow, Julia's a better dancer than anyone in La La La. I was going to say, amazing. I was like... <laughs> I was like, I'm really excited by Raul Julia in this movie, actually. Like, everything that he does, I thought was very, very fun and exciting. And I was like, oh, he's <laughs> he's actually, like, a really funny character, too. Like, the the way that he quits his job is so funny to me. <laughs> um, How dare but... you. How <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, dare you. This is the worst service I've ever had. <laughs> like he's like you work His here fault is that. <laughs> yeah, yeah you work here that scene's hilarious but i don't know the rest of the movie i could have just done without i was just like i don't i don't care about you know frederick Forrest in the junkyard with nastasia kinski like i don't care about the like weird circus metaphors i don't i don't care about that i actually like I don't know. I feel like there could have been more interesting things with that character, but she also just plays like real exotic and it's just like, ooh, there's maybe this exotic person that he could just go off with and I'm just like, eh. Not really. I like how you don't like that in her character and Ray is just literally the masculine version of the exact same thing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> partially probably because it's like I guess like over um I don't know. The market is oversaturated with exotic female characters who are supposed to be there to like serve the man's need to escape in cinema. So that's probably why like I don't feel like you see it as often gender flipped, I guess. What do you think, Basil? But Sorry, now we can keep talking. Sorry, we're I'll, already like the, the whole podcast with Patrick. I've Everything. said enough. I've said enough. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I am somewhat in the middle on this. Uh, I, there are certain things that I liked a lot, but I think that um, Frederick Forrest is bad casting. Like, you need yeah. somebody like a Ryan Gosling hmm. to... Because I feel like Terry Garr is like the perfect kind of like 
kind of charismatic, kind of charming, but you can also buy her as being kind of like a boring, like, normie or whatever. Mm. And to me, he's just, uh, like, Frederick Forrest is just a mook. Like, like a third of the way through the movie, I was like, he looks like Mo from the Three Stooges. And I could never get it out of my head after that. And I was like, he's not an appropriate equivalent. Like, like we need a guy who's like a boring normie, not like a guy who's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, because she has like a regular middle class job. And like, that makes more sense. Like, it'd be more fitting if he was just like a boring accountant who was like really tired of his job and just like you know, kind of like a clean-cut guy, but instead he's, like, kind of like a, a working-class bro who's, like, really annoyingly masculine at times where he's like, you, you mind, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this, this uh, performance isn't working for me at all because I feel like, you know, in some ways, uh, what Patrick said I agree with in the sense that, like, you kind of have to buy into their relationship at least a little bit in order for the like more sad satirical elements to really land and so for me i was just like he's a hundred percent awful like the whole movie so like when <laughs> yeah. he does the like singing thing at the very end and that like kind of she's like oh this is nice like we're you know i agree with ruben that we're not supposed to be like oh this makes up for everything but like i feel like that moment needs to land like a better actor like a more kind of you know, like Harrison Ford or Gosling, where he's, like, kind of charming, even in spite of his, like, being a shitty person or whatever. And then then that moment really would land for me of being like, oh, like, you know, now they're back together. What a good idea. <laughs> yeah. If he and Harry Dean Stanton would have switched roles, this movie would have been better. There you go. <laughs> no. There you go. They needed a better casting, but Harry Dean Stan would not have worked at all. He, he has too much inner humanity. I always want to yeah. like Harry Dean well, Stan. He's a nice guy. So then, <laughs> him being an unrepentant douche would be easier. No, that's not the character. This guy I, is yeah. awful. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Like <laughs> that, this guy, just this guy being awful is boring because the actor himself does not really like offer you it's a lot more man. beyond just being exactly what he is on the surface. Well, he's he's a yeah. bad actor. Yeah. And he's not a good actor. But like, I, I'm fine with act characters being like shit people if the actor is selling that person to me uh, makes me feel something for them anyway. You know, like if it's just right. this like obvious, then I'm not sure if I can buy into even what you're saying, like the fact that this is on purpose. You know, like okay, so it is, but um, so uh, it doesn't really affect me in that way. I agree with that. I don't know who I would cast mm. instead. I haven't. I haven't given it a lot of right. thought. Um, yeah. You know, but like a Jimmy Stewart type, but like <laughs> obviously he wasn't around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. During the eighties. Yeah. Uh, mm. To play this this type of role. I mean, he technically um, was, but, but he would have been in his yeah. 80s. <laughs> <laughs> to play this type of yeah. role. Not age appropriate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... I don't... Well, I think if you, <laughs> if you make him a person who you could like, I don't think that the ending, which works for mm. me, lands, which is, you know, like... 
to me, uh, both uh, Ray and um, Layla. What was Layla? Like, yeah, they're exciting, but the reason why they end up returning to each other, like, they don't have some sort of like epiphany moment mm. where they return to each other. They return to each other because they know that if they go with those other people, that they're going to end up in the exact same place in five years where they are with each other now. And it's better to just settle for this mediocrity right. than, and like, you know, you need a mediocre person at the center of this. I, mm. I don't know. I also think like you're maybe overlooking some of... Uh, Franny's issues yeah. as well and being like she deserves better mm. but neither of them deserve any of this right <laughs> it's just very sad they're sad people living a sad <laughs> life I don't know <laughs> yeah mm. deserves got nothing to do with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess I guess the problem with uh, populating your movie with more interesting characters than the two central characters is that you just end up seeing those characters. You're like, oh, I wonder what was going on with that person. Like, I kind of want to watch more of them. So it's yeah. like, even with like, like you say, like Harry Dean Stanton's character, I'm like, kind of wonder, wonder what's going on with this guy. And then he like weirdly finds, a, 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 we assume that he finds love uh in uh franny's friend whose name i forget um but the the woman whose apartment she's supposed to be staying in but i was like oh this is kind of a weird interesting love story that just like kind of crops up and then just you know it's kind of pushed to the side for the the main story but i was like oh interesting you know the the side characters are kind of more interesting than the main characters and i guess that's not an uncommon feature of movies like this and i i guess that kind of fits into with what you're saying where it's like these people are sad and yeah lonely but i don't know like it, if there's something that exists that they keep having these like dreams they're all these you know little pop-up windows just like terry gar's job that they walk by and they're like man wouldn't it be great if i was in bora bora or if i was with this person or if i had that life or if i had this job and at the end it's like Wherever you go, all your shit comes with you. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, and then, you know, like, I mean, sort of extrapolating or whatever, like, that at one point, Terry Gar and Frederick Forrest were those exotic couples having fun. Like, they talk pretty mm. often early on in the movie of, like, oh, we, were, we used to be such a fun couple. We used to do this and we used to do that. Now what happened to us? So, like... You can't. They can't be that couple if they're now this couple, which is a sad couple <laughs> that uh, is on the <laughs> on the brink of imploding. But uh, yes, I don't, I don't know. It just I don't know. For some reason, I don't connect with that storyline. Like it yeah. just seems like it seems like too pat a storyline. For it's like, oh, here's this couple and they're on the rocks. And the whole drama of the movie is about how they're struggling to stay together or whatever. And I'm like, I don't I don't care about that story. Like, 
I've seen that story a billion times before. Like, why do I care about you making a whole movie about that story again? I don't know that we have, because it is a variation on that story, which is, yeah. you know, sort of what Ruben's been saying. It's like, it's not like, oh, look at this couple. They're going through hard times, but then they get re-energized by meeting some other people, and then they, they're going to got a new lease on life. They're going to be happy together this time. Like... I don't. <laughs> yeah, looks, I mean, I guess, I guess like I agree. That that's not. That's not in the end what the movie's saying. But, but if it's not, yeah, that's I that's I, fine. I mean, I, I guess settle, I settle. there's some cruelty to what it's saying. Then, like, there's yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I guess so. I, yeah, which is, it which is like a weird thing to praise a movie for, like it just being cruel <laughs> to these made-up mediocre characters, you know. Well, like it just I mean I think that it's well, like like no here's disagree. Some, yeah. so basically Again? here's two mediocre oh. characters instead of like two interesting okay. romantic characters or whatever the mm. thing that you kind of posit in any like romantic story is like the lead's got to be real interesting which is like a funny concept right if you make them two like pretty boring or dull uh, but then if all you do with that is basically show over and over again how mediocre they are and how boring they are, and that they're born to ruin each other's lives, it's, then that's kind of, you know, okay, what can I do with that? None of that is what I I'm said. I'm not saying that that's what you said, we'll let but I'd say, I'm saying like, that, like, try and help me understand what you okay. get from well, that. Then... <laughs> I, I, Basil started to say something to you. Okay, so well, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, the, the movie is sort of, antidotal like that the sort of uh the patrick's right this is like a very classic movie story and like you know coppola in some ways is being like that's that's not how it actually is like that's not that's not the that's not the real story and that like you know i mean the idea of these characters like it's not that they're just like shitty people like they used to have a fun relationship but now they don't and like that's not like that uh, like a cruelty in terms of like look at these dumb heads like look at these suckers <laughs> like what a bunch of idiots like i feel like it's like uh you know that they're the kind of well like yeah sort of uh sadness that comes with like you're with someone for a long time and then you get used to being with them and like you aren't necessarily as excited about it as you used to be. And I feel like as someone who's been in a couple of pretty long-term relationships <laughs> that ended that way, it, it's a bummer. Like, it's not like I wanted to stop liking that person as much as I did. It just <laughs> happened. <laughs> and uh, not that like cop, all of Coppola's films center around capitalism. Certainly the Godfather films mm -hmm. do, but you know, this reminds me of my feelings of uh, don't go breaking my heart as well. Uh, in terms of like the impossibility of love in a capitalist system, because capitalism is going to tell you there's something newer and better out there and that you have to go seek it out. And that <laughs> there's a planned obsolescence to everything including human mm -hmm. relationships and like how upsetting that is and to me that's what this like 
I don't see that as being cruel. I see that as being a very depressing reality of the actual world that we live in. Hmm. Is that not that these people are boring, but that they have a sell-by date, in essence, to each other. (laughs) And that the system keeps them from, you know, being able to remain human, unique figures with time. Like, they're all, you know, to be over-the-top metaphorical, these dusty signs in the middle of the desert that are going to be discarded one day. <laughs> yeah, this, this used to be an exciting hotel. Now it's a, a big <laughs> ring. It's a piece of junk just sitting in the, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. But I think that, you know, and that there's a kind of funny like meta textual i mean i guess it's good he blew all his money on this because like it's it's very funny to like set something in las vegas the like most artificial city and then not shoot any of it in real las vegas you just like build a fake las vegas (laughs) yeah i i'm not this movie is so far removed from reality (laughs) yeah i mean in its aesthetics. All of that is like, yeah, it's a very grand statement on, on something, right? But I, I don't know. Um, I guess I just don't see the inherent tragedy in growing apart as a couple or becoming less like uh, excited about being in the relationship because it's, as it's something that's natural and it inevitably happens, it should be something... I'm not sure if it should be something that have, has to have so much like tragedy and sadness and so ever like attached to it necessarily so i guess well it doesn't have to it's not that they specifically grow no. apart as a couple but that it's impossible for yeah anyone that's... not to become which is exciting fine. To like I, maybe because yeah. i don't know you can you say it's natural yeah. but we don't know that like social <laughs> constant, we've never lived outside capitalism to be like oh you maybe, have to stay together if, yeah i know yeah, or and maybe there's not like a. There used to also be small communities, yeah. <laughs> like a thousand years ago, of just like forty people <laughs> just hanging out. There wasn't a more exciting option I, out yeah, there. Yeah, I, I think. Okay, so I think this is this is maybe like a different thing that doesn't work for me, but I feel like something about the way that this movie is shot and the fact that it's shot all on these like fake sets like this big sound stages or whatever something about that like doesn't really jive with me with the sort of i guess like because it it kind of feels nuanced in the way that it takes on the relationship because it does kind of give you these little interesting moments where it seems like the characters should be happy but then they're not and they're immediately fighting and something about the way that it's (laughs) cut together doesn't jive with me like it it i don't know i i wish that it had been shot and i guess more of like a traditional like oh we're we're in a real house and we're shoot we're gonna shoot this in a real house way and if i don't know uh something about the like grandness of the idea of them like building this big house set just for this fight like <laughs> i i funny. don't personally <laughs> care for it. like i i guess i i, I, I don't mean, find it that funny though i'm just like i don't know it, it doesn't because it's a musical you can't shoot a musical it's in the not real world really a musical though, i mean it has it? a like, lot of music in it don't 
sing it. It has the music. <laughs> but that's another thing is like these characters aren't singing the music. The music's just being played over it. And that kind of distracted me a lot too. Like the way that they do the music where it's just like they the music sing. like very loudly playing over <laughs> the characters even like talking sometimes. Um, One of my complaints is is too much music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also thought that there was some issue with uh, I think it was an intentional choice, but a bad one to like the way that they mixed the audio, and I had to turn the subtitles on so that I could always mm. understand. Oh yeah, I had to turn my uh, TV up really, really loud, and even then the the dialogue is very quiet. Like I don't know, but mm. that that was an odd choice. But I bet watching it in a theater would be fine. Probably, but I don't know. Uh, Something about that aesthetic being applied to this story bothered me in a way. Um, I can't quite put my finger on why, but I mean, maybe it's that that problem, the same problem that I have with La La Land, where it's like they make they're making a big musical event out of these like everyday things, like being in a traffic jam. Where here it's like, oh, it's two people. Have you seen any Jacques Demy films? Mm -hmm. I have. I've seen Young Girls of Rochefort. Um, How do you feel about Jacques Demy? I mean, (laughs) I I like the Young Girls of Rochefort. It's not one of my favorite movies ever, but I like it. Um, They make a dance number out of a ferry crossing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, and I and I, I don't know why the like some of the heightened stuff works for me in that but i don't know it's something about this story like i don't uh i can't quite put my (laughs) finger on why but like i don't want this story to be in that setting i'm like this feels like a waste to me (laughs) i I can't quite explain why I think some of that, I mean, your frustration is intended, I think. Like, it's it's a little bit by design. Like, it's supposed to be like, ooh, musicals, they're the thing that, like, celebrates, like, the glitz and the glamour, and you're flying off to different places, and you're having a good time, and ballrooms and stuff like that. And it's like, what if we took all that aesthetic, but, like, made it really about, like, being just, like, a boring normie, and, like, nothing's, like, <laughs> nothing exciting is going to happen in your life, except for very briefly, but then... It's all phony. I think the key scene to the movie, especially in the casting, I'm pretty sure it's Francis Ford Coppola's parents yeah. are the older couple in the elevator, and they won't let the elevator door close because they're Ray and uh, is trying to convince Franny to well. come with him, and the door keeps not closing <laughs> over and over again. And if you find that scene funny, you probably like that mo- like the movie. But if you find it really annoying, you probably don't like the movie. If you're like, just get off the elevator and let the old couple go. <laughs> I wrote down, uh, life is an elevator where an annoying couple won't let the door yep. close. <laughs> They're just trying to go about their business. <laughs> Have a day. Yeah constantly impeding people <laughs> frederick forrest comes and drags terry gar out ruins everyone's night at the yeah. hotel 
I like that scene too because it reminded me of Pillow Talk, except for it's really disturbing, yeah. like the scene yeah. is supposed to be. Unlike in Pillow Talk, where like the policeman is like, "Yeah, good job," mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, "I mean, this is accurate for how police actually work, but it's not what I want to go to a movie for." Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it reminded me of like the the Flintstones, like he's like a big caveman, just like my woman, <laughs> drag her out. <laughs> <laughs> And you get so. that really ridiculous uh, roof scene where he keeps electrocuting himself and tripping on things. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous scene. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. For some reason, I don't care about it. Well, like, <laughs> that's I, fine. Yeah, I, guess. I think it's yeah, fine to yeah. not care about it. I don't know. It, I, was only, I, just, if, I, don't know, I was only upset at the beginning because I felt like you were saying the theme was almost the exact opposite of the theme of the movie. And I feel very strongly that they state pretty clearly what the theme of the movie actually is. If you don't like that theme or you don't like the way that it's presented, yeah. like I'm fine with all of those things. But I, <laughs> I, I don't think that this movie is excited that those two people are back together yeah. at the end. Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be I extremely comfortable frustrating. I, I, do, I do feel like it, it wants me to feel a certain type of way about <laughs> them getting back together. And it, I don't know. Yeah, it's sad. It, it kind of... <laughs> And it well, (laughs) but it kind of, I feel like it. It also like wants me to feel sorry for them breaking up too. Like it wants me to feel bad about it because of the way that the music is like making you feel. The breakup scene is terrible, though. I mean, they're they're like they're just being total (laughs) dicks to each other, especially especially uh, Hag to her. Like he's real. Like says some awful things and uh i don't know like once that happens um i don't think it, it, the movie's like screaming oh these two belong together <laughs> like they, these two were born for each other um so i yeah. guess i don't know i mean i would say that that's one of my issues with the movie is that like franny and hank they're not like equivalently like mm. i think that coppola like tried <laughs> yeah. to do it but like as, or at least try to uh, sort of like show the two different kinds of like ideas of like gender normality or whatever. Mm. But I think coming like 36 years later and the idea that like, yeah, men and women aren't equal at all. So like if you show like a man being like really awful, like men can be really awful in ways that like women can't really equivocate. Yeah, this movie is sexist in that yeah. way, very much so, where it's like, uh, it thinks, um, or maybe it starts from a premise of, like, men and women both have it bad, mm-hmm. so, like, therefore, I can show these equivalent things happening, and the viewer will interpret them equivalently, and that's not the case. Yeah. Hank comes off. A lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And maybe, maybe that's part of what bothered me about it was that, you know, it it is like very of its time in its handling of both stories where it's and also like I guess like the handling of the actors on the screen as well. Like, you know, you see Frederick Forrest in his underwear sometimes and he looks like a schlub, but a lot of the movie is like focusing on like, ooh, Terry Gar's getting naked, and it's like, oh, here's a like, you know, this yep. lascivious shot through a door of her like in her underwear and stuff like that, and it's like, 
I feel uncomfortable. The only time that even kind of worked for me is that part at the end that we were just talking about where he uh, breaks into their hotel room and carries her away naked because it's like so uncomfortable and like then she decides to be defiant about it that it's like yeah really harder to take that scene as being like lascivious yeah but there's like an earlier scene where she like rolls down her dress yeah where you can like see her back and it's like she's wearing a skirt but she's topless and it's like halfway turned to the camera and i'm like i don't like this at all yeah and and maybe that was what (laughs) that like early on in the movie it sort of gives me the wrong idea about where this movie's head is at in terms of like actually making any sort of statement on this relationship and i i did kind of feel like the movie was on frederick forrest's side at that point where it's like oh it's so sad that this is happening to him like after he bought the house and everything like he was just you know everything should have been going good but she's got (laughs) with her money (laughs) she's got these flighty dreams of going to bora bora or whatever and i did kind of feel like the movie was like on his side and not hers about that like oh he's being practical like he bought the house or whatever and you know i don't i i Mm. that that what about the the beginning of it and then i was like i was annoyed that the movie was giving the that story such a grand scale where i was like don't i was like don't give this kind of budget to this bullshit (laughs) you know i guess in my head where i was like oh this guy's awful like this is a toxic relationship why are we giving the this budget to this toxic relationship to add to the sexist part of the thing is also the conversation that happens between harry dean stanton and hank i forget harry dean stanton's character is real gross is real is real gross (laughs) for like when they're when they're staring at no, Natasha Ginsky. before that, when they talk, when they're in his apartment uh, and they talk about how they're like gonna be bros, <laughs> even though they're like mess around with each other's women or whatever, and like, like all of that is just like <laughs> extremely eighties like bad, um, so very cringy stuff. Oh well, yeah, I thought that that was funny, but because <laughs> yeah. I, like I thought that <laughs> it's uh sort of showing this uh, uh, the ridiculousness of like how men connect with each other they're like oh i'm really mad at you like blah 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 and then like they resolve it like immediately but like he can't do the same thing with terry gar like he'll never forgive her for sleeping with mo or making out with mo or whatever right (laughs) which is and they're very like tit for tat Mm -hmm. Like, once he reminds him that he also did the same thing, he's like, oh, yeah, right. Bro, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> oh, sorry, bro. We're bro- we can bros again. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. I guess I can, I can see that as being, like, more commentary I... than just, like, uh, the other things. It's just, like, so... This is what dudes do. Just, like, guys so dudes. much of the guys being dudes is, like, so much of those two characters <laughs> that, like, at, at some point the commentary is kind of washed away by just how prevalently they are, those two, mm-hmm. uh, that way. But, um... That's fair enough. Yeah. I, I mean, I I think that there's stuff that doesn't land and that I think it's, you know, what Basil, I think Basil put it better than me is that like he starts off with this false premise of starting off from an equal place. And because of mm. that, things don't land as well. But I think that there's obvious stuff that shows that Coppola is at least in tune to the idea of like how mm. men treat women for instance it's a very throwaway line but it like made me like almost out loud gasp when he's waiting outside the fremont and he's about to leave he's upset because uh leia 
Coelho didn't show up on time. And she's like, I got here as fast as I could. My dad locked me in the bathroom for two hours. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? They're just going to like scan over that. Like it's just like a normal thing that happens to people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know how dads lock their daughters in the bathroom for hours. I mean, her character is kind of a, a bit of a joke in this movie, unfortunately. Kind of, I felt. You know, like none of what she says is ever even real. I mean, I know that both her and uh, uh, the guy that uh, Terry Gar, both of those characters are like super heightened <laughs> versions of like the whatever is the opposite, perhaps at that moment of like uh, their partners. Um, <laughs> like uh, mm -hmm. they're both like basically. Hank wants someone who's like devoted to him, and this circus girl is like immediately basically wants him to run away with her, and like blah blah. blah. And she wants this guy who's like exciting and will take her places. So like, uh, her partner like was uh, plays exactly that uh, part up, and it's obviously heightened. But still, in the end, like I feel like what Natasha Kinski's character kind of amounts to is uh, very bordering on like Manny Pixie whatever territory. But like before it was yeah. that, or before it was like obviously that so he's critiquing fantasy but one of the two fantasies yeah. like patrick said has been so covered in media that it like it needs extra levels in order to yeah. be the same level of critique yeah, yeah it's an it's a good and it's given the same it, they're both pitched yeah. exactly the same yeah, yeah. so ten, ten and also i mean i yeah. think that uh like it's a it, it's again like a sort of a question of in my opinion, the casting or whatever that like Raul Julia is able to give Ray mm. like a kind of like odd and funny nuance that like kind of, even though he's not supposed to be a real person, like he kind of he seems less superficial <laughs> yeah. than Kinski, yeah. and so that like invites us again to like I think the issue with the casting like it can invite the reading of like being like. Ah, oh, Terry Gar, you should just run away with this cool nice guy. Like, yeah, and, and that's not quite the point of the movie. Yeah. But I agree with you. you. Know, I also feel like the writing could have been a bit better when it comes to both of those characters. I feel like oh sure, um, that's something I feel like the movie does suffer from. Is like I don't think Coppola is like a really strong writer, and a lot of the ideas that even you guys talked about are conveyed more through acting and or like super. Uh, I don't know, amazing imagery um, that that kind of conveys that a lot more than the actual dialogue or whatever like happens to be spoken on screen. Yeah, I don't know, and I also feel like the music informs it a little bit too. Like you get the lyrics or so they're very mirroring, which is funny sometimes. Yeah. Like literally, and the I, song I, talks like, about picking yeah. stuff up off the floor or whatever, and then he does that right <laughs> uh, right away. I thought that was kind of funny, but uh... it's also a funny idea to put Tom Waits in a musical, <laughs> like, like to have Tom Waits <laughs> play the piano, and that's like your musical or whatever. I guess that also kind of goes with the idea of like having like mundane artificiality like um tom waits sounds so much like your average like bar rock singer yeah, yeah. but like then he's also not yeah. that at all with his writings and whatever i feel like that does fit in that way yeah he definitely sounds like a dude playing a piano in a dive bar just moping along yep sad drunk man. <laughs> 
that's like his whole shtick. Like yeah. all his albums are like, oh, look at us, we're all sitting in the yeah. bar. Yeah, one of them's literally <laughs> called sad. closing time, so he <laughs> definitely yeah. played that up pretty hard. Yeah. Covered by semi-sonic. Yeah, this is the most I've ever liked Tom Waits, and it's heavily influenced by how I feel about the visual quality <laughs> yes. of the film. <laughs> He has a cool look. I wish I liked him more. Like the, the his small cameo in this when he's just like leaning against the the neon blue and he's like playing his trumpet. A little sad. I was like, oh, cool shot. Oh, I missed that one. I guess. Link that I'm. Uh, he's only in it for like a second. It, yeah. I just mm. know it's him because I used to be pretty yes. into Tom Waits when I was a mm. silly teenager. <laughs> he got his pork pie hat on. He does. <laughs> um, uh, this note is just a plain billboard. Uh, if uh, you've seen La La Land, there's, uh, uh, if you remember, there's a scene where Ryan Gosling is sitting in front of a really huge billboard. It's just like, welcome to California or something like that. So uh, you're point about this being similar to Lala Land, I'm pretty sure that Damien Chazelle has seen and enjoyed this movie. I think that's true. <laughs> this is like a very strong visual link there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a longer note. <laughs> Let's never fight again and then immediately start fighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh. Like... Uh, I, I laughed as soon as they said, let's never fight again. And then, like, they're sitting at the table, and he's like, uh, how'd you get the money to buy the house? And he's like, I used our money. She's like, you used our money without asking me? <laughs> but she tries to say it like she's she's trying real hard to be nice. Mm-hmm. She's like, used our money without consulting mm-hmm. me first? Hmm, that's an interesting decision that you made. <laughs> and then immediately dissolves into a terrible fight. Uh, oh, which, uh, that, that was the thing that I wanted to say is I think that Terry Gar is really good in this movie. Yeah. I don't know how other people felt about it. I like but, her. Mm-hmm. Um, she has this incredible, like, I think a lot of people, not a lot, a sign of a good actor is like an ability to, like Basil was talking about with Adam Driver, to like sometimes like throw away a line in a way that you might like be surprised like for it to be like serious but she has like throwaway like looks mm-hmm. and stuff like that like when ray first comes up to her and she's like uh, working on the window like she gives these looks like away from him like that are just like really surprisingly human to me like she's not totally invested in listening to this guy either even though it's an important plot point in the film like, right mm-hmm. there's a human there who like she's like oh i have to get home and make do the dishes or whatever (laughs) uh and i'm always surprised about that quality uh, of her she's really good in the conversation another francis ford coppola film as well even though she's only in one scene is able to like establish like this weird sad human Mm -hmm. very quickly (laughs) i wonder if i'd still like young frankenstein probably not (laughs) (laughs) But I bet she's good in it. <laughs> yeah. Oof. So thank you, Air Doctor. <laughs> so one one other aspect that I guess we haven't really talked much about was like what 
I think uh, I mentioned Patrick mentioned it uh, earlier is the whole like exoticism and how that's uh, like re referenced uh, in this movie. <laughs> and I mean, that's definitely a lot of its time stuff, like uh, kind of casually referenced talking about like pagan slaves, how they like incessantly talk about yeah. ten Tendaloo. I don't know how to yeah. spell that. She like comes out of the shower with like the head wrap yes, or something. Doing the hula, blah blah blah. <laughs> All these like, like very yeah. like uh, mm -hmm. weird things. There's one scene that I'm not sure how to feel about actually, which is when uh, I keep forgetting his name, but the guy who Terry Gar uh, falls in love with basically for a bit. Um, Ray. Ray, yeah. Ray. And uh, <laughs> when they're in that restaurant, there's another waiter that comes up to them, who's called Javier. And oh, yeah. the, his and the <laughs> owner of the restaurant keeps saying his name wrong on purpose, and I don't know if that's like Coppola like signaling to the audience like, hey, I'm aware of like bad stereotypes, so take that as like a a, a sign of faith that all these other characters in this movie being like kind of gross and exotifying is on purpose, um, or if that's that was... or if that's you know kind of like shoehorned in to make you feel that way, you know, to kind of like ensure okay. him or something. I don't know. I I actually thought that like all that stuff sort of was that because like, like mm -hmm. I actually like when she was talking about going someplace, I was like, I wonder if she'll say Bora Bora. And then she said Bora like Bora the right most, after I the thought. The most obvious like, oh, place or whatever. It's like, like, yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. the most cliche. Mm. And then like her talking about like, hula dancing or whatever i actually thought that was like a, supposed to be a reflection of her character that to her like all these islands are basically the same island mm. like they just like do all the same things like you know because it's like oh it's you know that that place out in the pacific that's 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 <laughs> yeah. where you go to have a good time and live a fantasy that... life and it's all basically the same place yeah i think i soaked some of that up too because i saw that and i was just immediately like i guess i assumed that the movie was uh, flattening all of those places as well and not it wasn't just her but i guess looking back at that scene like it, it is just her character that's flattening all of those cultures into one and i you know i guess it's more commentary on her as a bad person but she doesn't even know what the yeah, sky looks like there yeah and, but the I, right yeah. shade of blue <laughs> yeah but i but i i i kind of like been there i kind of got doubtful <laughs> well i kind of got turned off by that because i was just like oh no this movie's like doing some real bad exotification like early on here and i'm kind of not invested now yeah, I, mean, so, I feel the same way that i do about the sexism which is i do think it's commentary but i yeah. don't think that it lands i agree <laughs> yeah i yeah i i just and i going back to what you were saying about that scene with uh, javier I do think that there is like definitely awareness on the character of Javier like shows up for two seconds and he manages with like one look to be like, Oh brother, like this bullshit again. <laughs> like he, he gives like, he gives like this eye roll to off camera and he's just like, can you believe this shit? And I was just like, yeah, he's definitely like making fun of that manager. Like that manager is a complete asshole. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that, I don't know. I, I like the way that that scene works because of the chaos that it causes in the movie. And I was just I like, think this scene, that scene like, might have been better. Goes from zero to sixty real that fast. That scene might have been better if Terry Gar had said that to Javier, and he would have done the DRL. I think that that would have been like a little more sly way of like incriminating her by the movie. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I think kind of the point is, you know, getting to back to like the central thesis, um, which is like loving stuff under mm. capitalism, that this exotification comes sure. from that same uh, idea. Like they look to like a foreign land and they're like, oh, it must be so wonderful there, not like here. But if you go there, you'll be there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> with all your shit it won't feel that yeah. different for very long yeah. <laughs> but and uh, there'll still be people there with the same people problems <laughs> that people have but we can sell you on a beautiful racist mm. idea <laughs> if you're interested in spending money <laughs> yeah I mean that that's uh, sort of I mean that was like a big thing in the 70s or whatever like the back to nature and I mean it's been a big thing since like all of colonialism or whatever it's like yeah. uh these these noble primitives mm. like they really <laughs> they really know how to live over there not like us in yeah. our stupid industrial world life is simple terrible life is simpler there the best that that I guess commentary has ever <laughs> landed for me, and it's so quick. It uh, it's in uh, John Mulaney's bit about chasing a woman through the subway. Have you ever heard yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, there's a part <laughs> when he's yeah, like he they're waiting for a subway, and she starts running away. And the premise of the bit is that he thinks it's because she hears the train is coming, and she is he realizes after he almost catches up to her, it's because he's a man at night and it's scary to be alone with a man in the subway station. And one of the like throwaway comments, that's like my favorite part of the whole joke is when he says that he assumed that she heard the train coming through her feet like a Native American woman in a movie. <laughs> the way that he adds in yes. a movie to the joke is of what course. just makes it like perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> like if that line wasn't in there, it would be awful. Obviously, like yeah, like yeah. And he does a slight pause as if that's what he's yes. like. Yeah. That's the ending, and he's like, you know, moving. well constructed joke for sure. Yeah. <laughs> also, the idea of him, her running away from him, him perceiving himself as a threat, being like weirdly, like yeah. masculinely exciting, <laughs> like. <laughs> Which is real weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the end of that joke, which is uh, I maybe not as woke as the rest of it, but very very funny, is him like wanting to come up to her and explain that he's not a threat because he's a little <laughs> boy. But he decided that that would be an even worse decision <laughs> than chasing her. I'm a little boy. <laughs> It's yeah. a great joke. Um, <laughs> John Mulaney is pretty awesome. Yeah. Mm. He was almost on my. Uh, he was almost on my short list for actors last year, actually. For <laughs> uh, Oh Hello on Broadway. Nice. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think what happened with this movie is that I got. Kind of, I mean, it, it's probably worth a rewatch. Although I don't know that I'll rewatch. You should it. rewatch it right now. <laughs> Since the podcast is over, <laughs> but uh, you'll definitely have a new take on it a couple hours after you originally watched it. Yeah, I, I, 
I perceived it as uh, being, you know, uh, the product of its time in many ways early on. And I was like, oh, the movie's saying these really boring things. And I kind of checked out on it. And I was just like, I don't care. Yeah. And... Coppola's smarter I than people. I didn't think. pick up on <laughs> the the smarter things it had to say, which I, I, I guess I agree that they're there, um, and I guess I agree with you about the ending that it's not supposed to be happy, but I don't know it. I don't know it. It didn't land for me probably because I was kind of checked out on both of the characters at that point. I mean, this. I'm not judging yeah. you. I'm disliking the movie. And, uh, <laughs> or I mean, anyone right like i was surprised that so many people were on board with it when i checked my letterbox following mm-hmm. list like everyone is like three and a half to five yeah. stars but, but i guess not anymore yeah. <laughs> but i think that you know uh like it's also easy watching the movie to see why it bombed so hard yeah. like that <laughs> I mean, even it, like I feel like it was never gonna be successful with the message it was trying to push, <laughs> uh, in the style that it was trying to push it. But it might not have bombed quite so hard if it wasn't also like you know, a little jumbled in its execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I we watched a hour and thirty eight minute take. Uh, the runtime somewhere else said it was like an hour and forty seven minutes, and there's definitely so. Uh, like a feeling of certain stuff having been cut out of the movie, mm-hmm. but that was probably a benefit to some of the people hmm. on this podcast. The, like shorter. Yeah. <laughs> the the one I watched on YouTube is an hour and forty two minutes, which is weird because then then it's just in between the other two runtimes. Who knows? This is definitely supposed to be a yeah. longer movie. Richard Brody apparently, when he about first watched this movie, uh, when he was like working in some basement or whatever somewhere, um, had all these tapes, and then he decided to make splice together like a 30-minute version of it, which he thought was like really <laughs> great, and then apparently like rewatched it a few years later and was like, nah, Cop- Coppola's was better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Coppola's version was better. <laughs> shocking, me, shocking. my stupid a... 19-year-old self like splicing together some it's tapes. shocking that a... <laughs> Um, but like, I guess what we haven't really talked about super much is like all the visuals, which are really like really stunning, actually, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like I, I mentioned, those two shots; these are just the ones that were like off the top of my head. The 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 blue neon thing and the dance in the martini glass, uh, and then like every time, I guess that's the cool thing about be- building all of this on sets is that you can manipulate everything and like turn like the colors around splice together imagery, make like rain come down suddenly, like all these things. Um, and I mean, at times that's like very, it gives this movie like a very exhilarating kind of like feeling, even though I was not really on board or like a lot of what it was saying. Um, I Like that part was like very, very cool. And actually something, I mean, I, I like rarely see in like modern film that like tries to like basically say like okay yeah this is all this looks fake and that's like the point that's good like we want it to be a bit more fake yeah i mean i like the way that the lighting really embraces like a like a theatrical look or whatever where like yeah you know like certain lights will go off and other ones will come on and it's just motivated by like the emotion or the movement of the scene it doesn't make any kind of like 
uh, you know, yeah, um, logical sense within the right, scene. Yeah. I I thought it was I thought the the one that was funny looking to me at the very beginning was when they're when they have like the mattress spread out in the living room and they're going to have sex in the living room and they start kissing and there's like this red light spilling in from outside yeah. and then they turn off the lights and then he like takes her red cloak and like puts it over the lamp the um the lamp but the red light goes away when he does that the whole room <laughs> is just dark and i was like you already had the red light in the room but then the <laughs> now he's doing something that would actually motivate the red light being there and the whole room is dark i was like that's a i actually like choice, that scene guess, when but... he says like maybe let's have a kid and she just doesn't say anything back and he's just like okay i'll just make the bed anyway or whatever it's gonna be fine <laughs> yeah Yeah, I mean, I mentioned the visuals when I the beginning, started right? Yeah, saying yeah, how much I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> and how hollow but beautiful mm. they found. It's like if they took the way that Streets of Fire was shot and then removed all of the humanity right. from it. <laughs> it's empty, pretty mm. vessel. Yep. I don't know how he did it, but I felt that way about the credits. I wrote down prettiest credits I've ever seen. <laughs> hmm. yeah. he's he's a real cool director though. i mean i've talked a lot about apocalypse now and that has a totally different aesthetic that is also very beautiful same cinematographer though thing. yeah <laughs> what's um, his name he's an italian <laughs> guy i don't remember <laughs> But yeah, you said it's totally unrelated. I meant to bring it up during Harold's announcements. I wanted to herald this non-movie, but you said Richard Brody, and it reminded me that Richard Lawson, a different critic, it was live tweeting the only living boy in New York this morning. That's <laughs> <laughs> very funny to me. Um, uh, there's some choice quotes. I want to bottle and sell straight male confidence to write a coming of age story about a too smart for his own good boy writer for whom women are the last true mystery. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Wow. Mentor character who gives grand sermons about life and art that all ultimately boil down to, have you fucked her yet? <laughs> <laughs> he calls it Woody Allen Ooh. fanfic. Nice. Oh, um, wow. Teenage boy gives monologue dressing down his father's mistress, explaining all her manipulative wiles to her, punctuated by him impulsively kissing her. Gross. <laughs> This movie sounds. <laughs> I considered watching it last year, like to help fill up my bottom ten, because uh, it was weak at the time that this movie was in theaters. But I missed it. Uh, didn't I? Didn't have a problem filling out my bottom ten by the end of the year. Right. Then. <laughs> what movie was this? The only, the only living boy in New York. Oh, is that Mark Webb? Yeah. Mark Webb. I want you all to show this movie to your partner, and if they seem at all emotionally invested in the story, break up with them immediately. <laughs> There's a twist, but don't worry, it only reaffirms the handsome straight boy's specialness. Nice. And the movie ends with the son and dad reconciled, and the woman they were both sleeping with safely scorned and run out of town. How sweet. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful ending for a beautiful movie. Yeah. 
Speaking of Mark Webb, I was watching clips mm. from Spider-Man's uh, the other day on YouTube, and uh, I started off by watching the scene where um, Tobey Maguire beats the crap out of uh, Joe Manganiello. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first one. Yeah. Flash Thompson. And I was like, I'd remembered how cool I thought the scene was, and it was still pretty cool rewatching it, but the coolest part now rewatching it is how everyone is disturbed by mm. it afterwards. They're like, mm. what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and then I watched a scene from Mark Webb's uh, The Amazing Spider-Man where, uh, with Flash Thompson as well, where uh, Andrew Garfield just dunks on him, literally, like <laughs> dunks a basketball over him and looks super cool doing it. And I was like, hmm, I've only seen this one scene from this movie, but it looks like it's stripped all the interesting commentary from the original Spider-Man story. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I've only seen the beginning of The Amazing Spider-Man, but I had, re- I had rewatched Spider-Man uh, pretty close before that. And I was like, oh, this movie really dumps you right in in a fun, fun way. And then Mark Webb's uh, Amazing Spider-Man just has like a really boring opening of him just like walking, like skateboarding to school, and it's like, oh, this is your cool Peter Parker. Yeah. He's like hip guy. But yeah, there's in that scene. There's even like a really nice, uh, you know, differentiating between like the characters because so Spider-Man beats up Flash Thompson, and he thinks that it's going to be a moment like from a movie that he's seen where the nerd. Uh, of one you know one ups the bully and everyone like cheers him and like pete holmes and the pete holmes show it's like suck his dick (laughs) 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 but instead like the other bully is like you really are a freak parker and like uh mary jane gives this look of like real sadness Mm. over what's happened and the only person who thinks it's cool is harry who of course is a villain (laughs) (laughs) He's like, whoa, Parker, you're so cool. I'm the villain of the second and third movie. <laughs> I love when people get the crap beaten out of uh. them. <laughs> anyway, I think we're done talking about one from the heart. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, y'all are done. Yeah. I'm probably going to talk about this movie for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Sorry, I got a job right in the middle of that podcast. It's very weird. <laughs> Congratulations. <Yeah>. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I'm probably going to be flying back to Birmingham soon. Nice. Cool. That's yes. exciting. Or at the end of February, anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've got um, the 60s. I've got uh, Young Girls of Rochefort. The 80s, I've got One from the Heart. This 90s, I've got Showgirls. The 2010s, I've got La La Land. Of oh. movies that are musicals or sort of musicals about the empty hollowness of love. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, two of those set in Las Vegas. Uh, it seems like they come up with one uh. every decade, roughly, and I always really <laughs> like it. <laughs> the, Amer- the American. Gotta find the one from the 90s and the 70s. Yep. Yeah, the, the American <laughs> ones gotta anyway, be out there. are. Uh focused on uh, large western cities mm-hmm. i mean uh, las vegas and los 90s, angeles the 2000s and the 70s yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what musicals came out in the 2000s not, <laughs> not a lot of musicals uh, chicago chicago <laughs> <laughs> oh boy that's the masterpiece yeah. there you go rob marshall really, the master director really trust rob marshall's 
taste <laughs> in that department. I guess Bring It On doesn't count as a musical. Mm, not quite. Also, that's not exactly about the hollowness of love, though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's optimistic about love. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's bring it home. Um, thanks for, you know, trying to fill the hollowness <laughs> of your own empty lives with our podcast <laughs> by listening to this. Yeah. If you uh, find that this is working for you. You should subscribe to our podcast listening application. Uh, subscribe to our podcast using your podcast listening application. We don't have a podcast listening application. You can't subscribe to it. <laughs> Not yet. We don't make apps. <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah. Patrick, learn how to code. Okay. <laughs> Making apps now. Um, and you can visit a website for all of our content, including a new video coming up Yay. this week. Uh Hope you enjoy it. And uh, our next podcast, if you want to go ahead and watch the film, is Letter from an Own Unknown Woman, directed by Max Ophels. Speaking of the emptiness of... Uh, <laughs> 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 Hooray. Emptiness of Love Month continues. <laughs> <laughs> Running up to Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Love is a lie. Happy Valentine's. <laughs> Mary, Bob, Kill, Bianca. All of them. All of them. Thanks for listening. Bye. Damn you, Johnny. You know I love my big beef and cheddar.